It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's the sports, sports Rush with Brett Rump. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Clark, 11 yards, touchdown! Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. The Here we go, taking you home on a Monday. That is right, put Monday in the books. One down, four to go with this work week. It's the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, four to six. I am Brett Rump, Adam Lundy in the producer's chair. It's a big hour for us on a Monday. We've got Don Fisher. He'll join us coming up in about 15 minutes. It's our 15 Minutes with Fish, presented by Cruzy Automotive Service. 46862, the Parkview Sports Medicine text line, 46862. Tell us what's on your mind. Also use that number to text the word Horizon to get Horizon League Championship tickets for Indianapolis coming next Monday and Tuesday at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum. It's the semifinals and the championship, and you could win tickets by texting the word HORIZON to 46862. Uh, man, it has been such a busy weekend. And, of course, one of the topics that's been widely discussed, and I can't believe how people are attacking the pitch clock. This is ridiculous. People that write about baseball, that have a career in baseball, who you would think would have something at stake when it comes to baseball's success or future success, but they are just absolutely blasting this whole pitch clock. And I I think it's totally ridiculous. First of all, they don't understand the game if they're going to sit there and blast the pitch clock because it's not the clock that's the problem. It's the players that are the problem. Guys who have to stand there and take a step out of the box, adjust their gloves, adjust their helmets, every single pitch. Get a new routine. When you walk up to the plate, get up there with one thing in mind, and that's to bat, to hit the baseball. You don't have to adjust your your cup. You don't have to adjust your gloves. You don't have to adjust your helmet. Um, I mean, it just seems like there's so much time that's wasted in between pitches. And so baseball addressed it. And last year they tried it in the minor leagues, which a lot of these writers probably aren't even aware of. They probably don't, don't pay enough attention to what's happening in the minor leagues to know that there's a whole season that they can pull resources from if they want to look at how the pitch clock performed a year ago. And let me tell you something. It made the games so much better. There is nobody that went through a season last year with the pitch clock that is going to say, bad idea. That that just was ruining the game. In fact, you will get quite the opposite. I think everybody will endorse it and say, boy, it made the games move with so much more pace. When a guy stepped up to bat, he was actually batting. Now, the only rule that I kind of get a little under my skin is the rule about only having two throws to first base. Because I think that is changing the game. I think speeding people up doesn't change the game. 
It changes the pace of the game, but it doesn't change the basics of the game. But I do think when you limit a pitcher's ability to throw to a base to try to pick off a runner, and if they're unsuccessful twice, they basically can't throw to the base anymore. Because if they do and don't get the guy, it's going to be a uh, balk, and you're giving him the base without him having to even steal it. So to me, that rule I don't like. But I love the, the pitch clock rule. And we saw it last year. And I don't know why even younger baseball writers are slamming the whole pitch clock thing after what happened this weekend. And that was you got to the bottom of the ninth inning, a tie game with the bases loaded and two outs. The count went to three and two. Couldn't have bigger drama. Bases loaded, tie game, two outs, bottom of the ninth, three-two count. And a pitch clock violation was called on the batter. Now, the batter has responsibility to be set in the batter's box, focused on the pitcher by the time the pitch clock gets down to nine seconds. He wasn't. They called it. Strike three. Sat him down. And I'm sorry, that's on the batter. That's not on the game. That's not on the rule. That's not on the clock. That is on the batter. Baseball's decided a fair amount of time to allow a batter to prep, to get into the box, to get set, and to be ready for the next pitch. And they've determined a fair amount of time for the pitcher to get a sign, to go to a stretch, to give a look to a base, or just simply wind up and throw it. And uh, and, and this whole pitch clock is fantastic. The game times have dropped 20, 30 minutes a game. Some even more than that. You're seeing right now a lot of spring training games that are going through nine innings at two and a half hours. That's what it needs to be. That should be the target number. Get a baseball game done in two and a half hours. And uh, and right now, you uh, I mean, football keeps the pace of play moving. Where football ends up wasting a lot of time is they've got the three-minute timeouts after someone scores. Then they got a three-minute timeout on change of possession. They've got all these TV uh, blocks built in. But when they're actually playing, they've got a play clock. To keep the pace of play going. And so baseball, that's all they're doing. They're introducing a play clock that's being used while the game is is going on. I mean, it just it makes so much sense to me, and I, I can't figure out why people are attacking it. First of all, it's spring training, people. These games mean nothing anyway. So don't sit there and say, because it happened in a spring training game, it's going to cost some team the World Series because you're going to get to the bottom of the ninth in a World Series game with a 3-2 count, bases loaded, tie score, and someone's going to get called out on a pitch clock violation. I'm like, get over it, because here's what happens. And here's what happened last year when it was introduced in the minor leagues. Is first month of the season, quite a few times you're going to see it called. Actually, what they did last year was first month of the season, they gave warnings. But first month of the season, uh, or, or, or when they start calling it the next month, you're probably going to see a few times where it's going to get called. And then as the season goes on, everybody gets used to that pace of play. They all adjust their routines at the plate. They're all very aware of when nine seconds is coming up. Because right now, what they're thinking is, I can adjust both gloves, I can look down, get a sign, and then I can step into the batter's box, look at the pitcher, and be ready. And that'll be before nine seconds. And what they're learning is you can't do that all before nine seconds. And so they'll adjust, baseball will adjust, pitchers will adjust, and 
and the game will move faster, which is what it needed. We had average nine-inning games that were going over three hours. The game had to speed up somehow, and uh, and this will do it. If you can get games that average out to about two and a half hours, maybe some that will be done in 215, 220, that will be fantastic for the game of baseball. And it will be more entertaining to actually watch because you can sit there and, and watch, eat a sandwich, and see more than one batter during the time it takes you to eat a sandwich. I I think it's a fantastic rule. I'm glad baseball did it. I think it's going to work great for the game and for the long-term uh, future of the game. And these people that are blasting it, especially people that supposedly know something about baseball because they're writing about it as a career, need to just shut up, learn the game, and figure it out. Because it will change the way the game is played, and players that maybe get called for it during spring training, again, a meaningless game, nobody knows when you get to the National League Championship Series or the American League Championship Series, nobody goes back and says, well, this is a matchup of two teams that were drastically different during spring training. One was winning games, one wasn't. Nobody cares. Nobody cares if you win two games during spring training if you end up playing for a World Series. These games are totally meaningless Don't make it out to be such a big deal that someone got called for a pitch clock violation that might have caused somebody winning a baseball game in spring training. Feel like Allen Iverson. We're talking about practice. That's kind of how you feel about it. We're talking about a spring training game, early introduction of the new rule. Players are going to learn to adjust. Pitchers will adjust, and the game will be better for it. 46862 Parkview Sports Medicine text line. Yep, it was a good one on Saturday. The Boilermakers hosting the Indiana Hoosiers. Indiana ends up prevailing and sweeping the season series against Purdue. And the better team won, at least on Saturday night. The better team won. And I still think that Purdue could be dealing with some fatigue for their freshmen. It's been a long physical year. Fletcher Lawyer doesn't have a body that looks like it takes a lot of beating and pounding. Um, You know, he still needs to put on some extra pounds and build up some muscle. Uh, But um, but his his offense has gone a little more quiet. Uh, You know, he's not the dagger that the the Boilermakers had. He had a couple of big three point shots there in that second half that I thought he drops them. Purdue's going to get this place blowing up and uh, didn't hit him. But uh, it was for Purdue that, I mean, those guards are the key. They are the absolute key because you know what you're going to get from Zach Eady. You're going to get somebody the defense is going to key on. He's still going to get a decent number, maybe 20, maybe 18, maybe 25. Uh, He's going to get his share of rebounds. You've got First and Gillis, both of those guys capable of going double figures. Ethan Morton, I think, has kind of faded. I think he's important because of his maturity and leadership. I think he's important because he plays really good defense. But he's not much of an offensive contributor at this point. And so a lot falls onto Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer to deliver offensively. And Purdue's got to get that back. And uh, it was Jalen hood Shafino who was the big-time freshman in this game. 35 points for the Hoosiers. What a game for Jalen hood Shafino, And in a game that the national audience had a chance to watch and determine who do they think is player of the year, maybe in the Big Ten, maybe nationally. Between Zach Eady and Trace Jackson Davis, they now have on their mind, hey, that dude is somebody I think our, our NBA team should draft. I mean, if you're, uh, 
if you're out in Portland, you're thinking, well, I mean, I'd love to see him in the backcourt with uh, Damian Lillard, who, by the way, went for 71 points last night. Can you believe that? 71 for Damian Lillard. Uh, just unbelievable. And unfortunately, right now, he's a solo act out in Portland. And then uh, LeBron and the, the Lakers had their big comeback against Dallas. Came from, what, 15 down in the second half and got a win. LeBron says these are the most important 23 games since the All-Star break. And uh, they they kind of backed it up with a win last night in a game that it looked like they were going to go down. And they came back against Dallas. And uh, so far, I think very mixed reviews at best on the uh, Doncic Kyrie Irving. Um, anyway, we are uh, rolling along here on a Monday, and uh, you can win some tickets to the Rising League Championships. Mastodon's going to be hitting the road to start their tournament run. Off to, uh, off to Detroit, Detroit, Michigan, and it's Antoine Davis. Now, Antoine Davis has a chance, and a really good chance at this point, after he scored 34 more points on on Saturday, Antoine Davis has a chance of breaking Pistol Pete Maravich's all-time record in NCAA Division I basketball scoring. He has closed to within 63 points. I hope he doesn't do it in one game. I would expect it would take him at least two. So the Mastodons could be the great defender of Pistol Pete Maravich's record here. A Mastodons win against Detroit, the Mastodons would advance, and Detroit would then sit and see if their season will be extended by the grace of a postseason bid. And Antoine Davis would need another game. Uh, Really interesting, because if Detroit wins against the Mastodons, they'll get another game in the Horizon League tournament, and they don't have to worry about whether or not they get a postseason bid. And uh, if the Mastodons hold Antoine Davis to 22 points, then uh, it might take three games. He'd still be 41 points away. So it might take two more games. So the Dons have a lot at stake here. Number one, their season. Number two, they have a chance to protect Pistol Pete Maravich's all-time scoring mark. And many people think that it should not be beaten anyway because Antoine Davis got five years, Pistol Pete got three because Pete Maravich played in an era where freshmen weren't eligible. So he had three years to put up those gaudy numbers. We got to take a break. Uh, heading into uh, to our segment with Don Fisher. Welcome back to the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. I am Brett Rump. Monday, rainy, stormy, uh, kind of a tough day today. Of course, we're going to be heading up to Detroit as the Mastodons take on the Detroit Titans coming up tomorrow night, round one of the Horizon League Tournament. Now it's win and advance, lose, and the season comes to an end. Uh, High-stakes basketball starting tomorrow night at Callahan Hall on Dick Vitale Court. And, of course, the Mastodons are going to be facing Antoine Davis, uh, the most prolific scorer in Horizon League history and the number two most prolific scorer in NCAA basketball history. And he is eyeing number one. You know, it's been like 50 years since Pistol Pete Maravich set the all-time NCAA scoring mark, and no one has chased him down uh, since and Antoine Davis just 63 points away from Pistol Pete. So really, with two games, 
Antoine Davis can probably become the all-time top scorer in NCAA basketball history. Let's hope it doesn't take one because the next game against the Dons. But uh, maybe the Mastodons have something to say. Maybe they're the great Pistol Pete defender here because uh, if the Dons knock out Detroit and then Detroit, if they do get an invite, to a postseason game. Um, we'll see how far away Antoine Davis is and whether he can make it on just two games with 63 points to go to become the all-time top scorer in NCAA basketball history. But that game tomorrow night, 7 o'clock tip, 645 our pregame show on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. And that brings us to Don Fisher. It is our 15 Minutes with Fish being presented by Cruzy Automotive Service. And it's always great to welcome the legendary Hall of Fame voice Don Fisher to the program. Well, Don, with all the hype and the anticipation of this rematch between Indiana and Purdue, great environment at Mackey Arena. But you know what I think is great for both sides is the game lived up to the expectations. It lived up to the hype. I thought it was an exciting game for fans to see. Purdue is still going to have plenty on their resume to earn a very high seed. But, boy, this was a statement win by the Hoosiers. It really was. There's no question about that. Um, if you would have gone into the ball game uh, and said Trace Jackson Davis is only going to have 10 points uh, against Purdue, you would have thought Indiana would have gotten blown out. But they did not get blown out, and it was primarily because of one guy, and that was Jalen Hood-Shafino. He was absolutely phenomenal in this ball game, scoring 35 points. He had seven rebounds. He had a couple of assists. Uh, not as many turnovers as we've seen him have uh, of late, and just played tremendous basketball. Never really, uh, in my opinion, he handled himself uh, like a, a, a pro. I mean, he, he looked like a pro out there on Saturday. He was just spectacular with the way he played the game, uh, how he ran the offense, and honestly, uh, in my opinion, you could be all kinds of introspective with all kinds of different statistics and everything like that in this ball game. But I think the difference in this contest was the fact that Indiana played as hard as they played all season long for 40 minutes of this ball game, even when they were down on the first half and not playing their best. They played tremendously hard throughout the contest at both ends of the floor, and it paid dividends. They ended up winning the ball game and winning it going away really at the end. When you talk about Jalen Hood, Shafino, and I mentioned this earlier on the show, that I think, you know, they've got media available to them. They can listen to what the talking heads are saying, and everybody was praising the great freshman guard play for the Purdue Boilermakers. I think, in some ways, uh, Jalen Hood, Shafino wanted to make a statement on a stage against those guys, because... Right now, is he in the conversation? Where is he when you talk freshman of the year in the Big Ten? Well, he certainly should be in the conversation in a big way, in my opinion. I'm not sure anybody, uh, the sensible kid for Ohio State has obviously had a great year uh, scoring the basketball, but nobody has meant more to what this team has needed because of the injury to Xavier Johnson and what Jalen hood Shafino has meant to this ball club. I mean, uh, even in the games that he doesn't play his best basketball or doesn't score the ball a lot, 
He is a calming force out there on the floor. He plays really hard all the time. He plays good defense. He's not a great defensive player yet, but he's got a chance to be that. Uh, He is a tremendous offensive player when his shot is going down, but he doesn't have to do it all himself. In, In this particular game in the first half, he certainly did. But in the second half, everybody else started stepping up as well. And the, the starters in this ball game did all the damage to Purdue. They had only one player come off the bench and give them anything, and that was Malik Renew, who had two points and uh, three rebounds. Nobody else even came close to that statistically. And basically, Mike, Mike Woodson basically had to play uh, most of these guys almost the entire ball game. Uh, Hood Shafino played the full 40 minutes. Uh, he was spectacular, as we've said, but everybody else played a bunch, too. And Trey Galloway, in my opinion, played one of his best basketball mm-hmm. games uh, as well because he's one of those guys that plays so hard all the time. He's the one guy in this team that you could honestly say probably gives everything he has from an energy perspective every time he walks out on the court. Um, and Trace was having a tough time against uh, uh, Zach Eady in this ball game, and against the double teams that were coming at him. Uh, he struggled in that area, but he dished out seven assists in the ball game against Purdue. So uh, he found a way to help this team, and then of course in the second half he scored all ten of his points in that part of it. I think he had eight rebounds in the game, but those seven assists were spectacular as well. I mean, he's the second leading assist guy in this team, and I think he's only trailing Hood Shafino by three or four assists now, uh, as far as the assist uh, lead uh, on this team. So it, it kind of gives you an idea that this team is really playing some good team basketball on top of everything else. You mentioned Trey Galloway. Man, I think he is such an X factor for the Hoosiers because his energy is contagious, and we saw it on display clearly in the uh, game Saturday night. But the other thing you notice about him is he brings a certain basketball iq just because of him being a coach's kid it just seems like he knows where he needs to be and what he needs to do given each situation i agree with you 100 percent. i know mike got uh, ticked at him about something in the second half of this ball game and i can't remember exactly what the scenario was but i know mike was not happy with him and he looked at at at, uh, trey uh, and trey looked back at him and like trey's going okay coach i got it i you know i see what happened uh that kind of thing he's He's a great kid. He's very coachable. Uh, he understands the game. His basketball IQ, I think, is terrific, as you pointed out. And the one, the other thing about it is he's improved so much uh, because he goes 100 miles an hour, and yet this year he's under control almost all the time. He doesn't make too many mistakes because he's out of control because that's he played with so much energy the first two years at IU that at times he made some mistakes that were critical. Um, and now he's he's making all the right plays, doing uh, keeping his energy contained to the point where he doesn't get overboard with it. And uh, of course, the other aspect is he can knock down shots. I mean, he's become a really good outside shooter. Uh, I think the thing he needs to work on for next season and the season thereafter, if he wants to come back for a fifth year, is he got, he's got to develop a mid range jump shot because he's got that little runner that he takes inside, the little looper that he throws up there. Uh, which is also a good shot, and, and it's a three shot. And the other time, you very rarely see him take a mid major or mid range jump shot. So, mm-hmm. but but if he gets that down, he's going to be an NBA player, no question in my mind. Two bench points. Can Indiana go on a successful run, whether it's the Big Ten tournament or NCAA tournament, if they don't get production from the bench? 
I think that that's one of the big uh, question marks on this team right now. They're just not getting as much uh, from the bench as they need. Uh, both Malik Renu and Jordan Geronimo came off the bench and could have played a lot of minutes in this ball game had they not gotten into foul trouble. And and both of them are right now reaching rather than playing with their feet, staying on the ground. Um, You've got to play with your feet. And and Tamar Bates, who is a guy that he came into the ball game and he played over 10 minutes in the contest, and he put, did a pretty good job defensively when he was in there, but he didn't take a single shot. He doesn't even look for his shot sometimes these days. Uh, and that's another issue with this basketball team. And obviously Miller Kopp, uh, in this contest, knocked in 13 points. He was 5 for 9 from the field. He hit three threes, which was critical, and he needed that. And I think he's starting to take a, a more of a scorer's mentality now to the game because before uh, he'd only take the shot if it was absolutely necessary, it seemed like, and if he was wide open. And uh, right now he's starting to press press a little bit in that regard, in my opinion, taking more of those shots. And other people are starting to look for him. And, of course, Trace Jackson Davis talked about the fact that every time he sees it, he does the same thing that I do to Trey Galloway because every time I see him on the plane or he's walking down the bus aisle, I go, shoot. Because <laughs> I want that guy to shoot every time he touches it because he's that good a shooter. And Miller Cop's the same way. And Trace has started doing that with Miller Cop. So at any rate, uh, right now, these two, these, this team is on the right track. And they've got a tremendous week ahead of them in which they can solidify that uh, the double-buy scenario that the Big Ten has if you finish in the top four spots in the league. And uh, Indiana's got that right in front of them. If they win these two ball games against Iowa and Michigan, they will end up in the in that double-buy scenario. And, and, of course, there's still that possibility they could end up tying for a Big Ten title. But, of course, that means Purdue's got to lose two more ball games. And uh, when you talk about what's ahead, two home games, they're back at Assembly Hall, both uh, both games this week. And they've got Iowa and Michigan. And after Maryland gave the Hoosiers and a couple of other teams uh, some help by knocking off Northwestern, that number two seed is up for grabs. And wouldn't it be something if we ended up seeing Purdue versus Indiana part three as a Big Ten championship game? <laughs> Well, and it's entirely possible, let's face it. <laughs> but uh, Indiana's going to need these two wins this week. And that's that's what, uh, right now, they can control their own destiny. And mm-hmm. and that's why you don't want to see this, this game against Iowa on Tuesday night go down the tubes because the energy level and the focus is not there after the emotion and the energy drain that, that took place on Saturday after that win over Purdue. Indiana's got to be ready to play in these two ball games this week. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Both teams are going to be bouncing back from emotional wins with Indiana getting that victory at Purdue and Iowa with a huge heroic comeback late yep. uh, to win on Saturday. So, yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of game we get. And, of course, we'll be tuned in, Don, listening to you on our sister station, Big 92.3. Uh, we'll let you have a great week. Look forward to it. We've got uh, Inside IU Basketball with Mike Woodson tonight. That is at 7.05 tonight, one of our final two shows of the season. All right. Look forward to that as well. Always appreciate you, Don. Have a great week. That is Don Fisher joining us on our guest line. And, of course, it's our 15 minutes with Fish. 
presented by Cruzy Automotive Service. You can get the oil change just uh, ahead of spring break. Yeah, if you're going to be traveling this uh, this year, maybe hitting the highways, you always want to have your car checked out. And so you get that road-ready checkup at Cruzy Automotive Service. Part of that is to get your oil change for a special price of just $19.90. That's for a regular five-quart oil change. That would be most vehicles, especially most vehicles over four or five years old. If you end up with a car that's going to need a synthetic oil or you choose to go synthetic oil, you can still save $17 on your already low price when you get your oil change at Cruzy K-R-U-S-E Automotive Service Center. So we always appreciate what Cruzy does to support our show and especially support our 15 minutes with fish. We've got to take a time out. Don't forget to text the word HORIZON. Text HORIZON to 46862 if you'd like to get those tickets to the Rising League Championships coming to Indianapolis next week. It's the semifinals and championship game. We've got tickets available. All you've got to do is text HORIZON to 46862, and we will randomly select one of the texts that we receive to win those tickets. So good luck, and maybe you can be a winner. It's the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Don't forget your chance to win tickets to the Rising League Championships. All you have to do is text HORIZON to 46862. That's HORIZON to 46862. We'll randomly select one of our entries to win those tickets. That's HORIZON to 46862. Now, I said that I was going to talk about the Big Ten Tournament. And, you know, here's here's my issue. I know it is a moneymaker. It's a cash cow for the Big Ten. It's a cash cow for all of the leagues that put together their big showcase event where they can sell tickets, they can, uh, you know, they can get television rights, but ultimately, is it a good thing for the teams? And who do you owe your decisions to? Do you owe them to teams within your conference to give them the best opportunity to win national championships? Or do you owe it to the bottom line and try to bring in as much revenue as possible for the conference itself to distribute among your members? Well, you might get differing opinions on that, uh, depending on who you talk to. But I think that's basically what you have here in the Big Ten. This does not give the Big Ten any kind of an advantage when they go to the tournament the following week. Because the teams that are the best teams in the Big Ten, you would expect to have to grind it all the way through a Sunday and then bounce back and maybe play a Thursday game in the tournament. And here's the other factor. Those marginal teams that maybe got in because they had a good tournament run, like Indiana last year, and end up having to go to that play-in game, which I, I don't know what they call it now. The first four, the play-in, they called it round one at one point. But the games that are in Dayton, I mean, those could be on Tuesday night. And so you play in a tournament where you're having to play every day back-to-back, which is only accelerating the amount of wear and tear on the body because you don't have the recovery period in between. So the schedule itself is not real good for Big Ten teams because I think they're risking a greater chance at injury by playing day after day after day, three straight days without giving the body a chance to recover, but they really have no other way to do it. They book it as a long weekend, and basically it is. It's, you know, a tournament that starts on a Wednesday, ends on a Sunday, 
But what does the Big Ten really gain from the Big Ten tournament? The team that wins isn't going to improve their seeding because every committee over the last decade has told you that the Big Ten championship is too late for them to determine whether it means a two seed or a one seed uh, based on the outcome. And so that game doesn't really matter. At that point, the committee has already made up its mind, so you have absolutely nothing you're really playing for as far as positioning in the NCAA tournament when you get to a Big Ten championship game. That in itself is a problem. Because if you're going to put on the tournament, you want to be able to sell the resume of your tournament champion to try to get a better seed. But it just doesn't matter because the Big Ten plays too late. The committee already made up their mind who the number one seeds are going to be and built the whole tournament around those number one seeds. And they can't wait until they see how the Big Ten tournament finishes to decide whether a team deserves a number one seed. What about Purdue? They've, you know, they've lost three of five. They, you know, they're a team that possibly could be discussed as a one or a two. Right now, I think they're, they're definitely a two seed. I don't think they slip to a three unless they lose another. But what they do in the Big Ten tournament, I don't think is going to matter. Unless they get beat in the first game, because that's really the only game that the committee can evaluate before they're putting teams up on the board. And they've got to look at all the conference matchups. They've got to look at uh, regional matchups. They, you know, they've, they've got a number of factors that they're weighing when they're putting those seedings together and where teams are going to be placed and which uh, region they're going to be in, that they have to have this process well underway, if not almost completed, by the time you get to Saturday night. And so, in my mind, uh, at this point, Purdue probably is sitting on a two seed. They could fall perhaps to a three, but maybe they could earn a way to a number one if they steamroll the Big Ten tournament. Well, the committee's not going to know it's not going to matter you're not going to see purdue change from a two to a one because at three o'clock on a sunday afternoon when the 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 brackets are being released three hours later uh purdue ended up winning a championship game by 15 points it it won't matter i i think the big 10 number one risking injury number two wearing down their teams everybody wants to talk about what's the problem with the big 10 success uh, in the, the postseason. And yes, I know somebody's going to say, well, the Big 12 does it, the ACC does it. But I, I do think it's more of a grind in the Big 10. I think there's more good teams. And I and, and honestly, it's like, what does it really matter? What is the outcome? What is the result? All it is is another chance to cut down nets, to claim a title, that means very little when it comes to three days later. The real championship is the one that's won when you have to go into other teams' buildings and win, when you have to protect your home floor, and you have to go through a 20-game schedule and be the best through a 20-game season, not when you're the best team over a three-day period and maybe you've got a deeper bench or maybe you know there's, there's a key to the start times of your games that comes out to be an advantage. I, I just, I'm not buying into this whole Big Ten tournament stuff. I mean, I love it as a fan, and I think that's really the only people that gain anything by the Big Ten tournament, the fans that get a chance to watch. But uh, bottom line, 
it, it's it's not a good thing for the Big Ten. It's really not. So turning the page to women's college basketball, man, oh man, what a day it was yesterday for women's college basketball. And I got to say congratulations to Notre Dame. Uh, without Olivia Miles, they somehow found a way to win on the road at Louisville, uh, beat the Cardinals 68 to 65. And with Duke losing to North Carolina, that makes Notre Dame your regular season ACC champions. So the Notre Dame women uh, are the ACC champions. Meanwhile, we saw quite the Big Ten game in Iowa City. Man, I'll tell you what. Indiana, so much fun to watch. And then Iowa with Caitlin Clark. I mean, right now, I she's, first of all, all of men's and women's basketball, Caitlin Clark, far and away, the best individual talent. And I don't know if she'll win player of the year, but there's no way you could find a player that's more impactful, that can do more things, and uh, I know Aaliyah Boston at, at South Carolina, really good. Uh, but, man, Caitlin Clark, the three-pointer at the buzzer to win it for Iowa, kind of fading away on the move, almost moving away from the basket as she launched and then shot it, and still hit a tough three-pointer for Iowa to defeat Indiana 86-85. to What a fantastic women's college basketball game. I mean, this was just... An incredible game both ways, back and forth. And, you know, for the Hoosiers, you had um, uh, Mackenzie Holmes with 21 points. Uh, Garzone ended up with uh, only seven points, but 14 rebounds. Um, and then, you know, a player that really is only out there because of her defense, Chloe Moore McNeil, she ends up scoring uh, 18 points for the Hoosiers. Kind of a surprise. Sydney Parrish added 18. Grace Berger, 16. They end up with four of their five starters and double figures. Only got five bench points. That's the one thing for Indiana, is they really don't have a bench that puts up a lot of points other than Scalia, and she's primarily a three-point shooter, and she was just one for five from three yesterday. But uh, but they do count on their starters to deliver most of the punch. And uh, with 21 from Holmes, 18 apiece from uh, Moore McNeil and um, and Sydney Parrish, and then 16 more from Grace Berger, who added eight assists. They get plenty from their starting lineup. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was some show for... Uh, for Caitlin Clark, she ends up with 34 points on 12 of 22 shooting, nine rebounds, nine assists. She came just a rebound and an assist short of a triple-double. But she hits the winning bucket as Iowa knocks off number two-ranked IU, 86-85. I will tell you this, coming out of that, if I'm if I'm on the poll, if I'm casting uh, a ballot, Indiana is still number two to me. I mean, you play a game like that on the road, and you have a remarkable play by a, a, an insanely talented player is the only difference you you had between winning and losing. I still got Indiana number two. I, I really do. 46862 Parkview Sports Medicine text line 46862. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We'll put the wraps on this Monday edition of the Sports Rush next. This is 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Welcome back. Final time to the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. Brett Rump with Adam Lundy. And coming up tonight, we have got inside IU basketball with Mike Woodson. That will hit the airwaves, not at 7 o'clock, but at 7.05. You'll catch... uh, Don Fisher with Mike Woodson, and uh, I'm sure they'll have plenty of good stories, and it'll be a uh, 
lively atmosphere for the uh, Inside IU Basketball program with Mike Woodson coming up 7.05 on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. I'm heading on a bus. I'm going to be on my way to Detroit. So tomorrow, Shannon Griffith, the coach, he's going to jump in and take care of things for me. Uh, He'll be here from 4 to 6. I I hear there's going to be an incredible lineup of guests. That's all I know about tomorrow's show. But uh, And I also know that I'm not one of them. But uh, tomorrow, uh, be sure to tune in to Shannon Griffith. And then the Mastodons basketball against Detroit Mercy comes up tomorrow night, 645, with a 7 o'clock tip. That does it for us. Thanks to Don Fisher, as always, for joining us on the program. Hope you have a great Monday night. Enjoy Griff tomorrow. And then I'll be back, hopefully, fingers crossed, Wednesday. Maybe, maybe not. Just depends on how things go with this Horizon League tournament. We have to play it by ear. But have a great Monday night. This has been the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.